so thankful we can be together. Uh, there's so much going on in our nation right now, uh, so much division and turmoil, so many things are being exposed that we need to work on. And, and I know we as a, a body of Christ, we want to respond. We want to do something. And your leadership has been meeting about what we can do in specific ways to bring the love of Christ into all relationships in our church and our community. And your shepherds have wisely chosen the first thing we must do is devote ourselves to prayer. And so today, we begin a season of prayer called One. And this is a season of prayer for reconciliation. And we're starting this week by praying specifically and challenging you to pray specifically for reconciliation in our church. That this be a place where all the man-made barriers fall down and that we are truly one in Christ. So please join us this week as we begin 40 days of prayer about us being one. Today we continue our Unstuck series. Today we talk about something that's all too familiar as being stuck in your head. You ever had one of those songs that just stuck in your head and you couldn't get it out? One of the new songs we've been singing around here that's really got stuck in my head in a good way is Glorious Day. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. And my head just says that over and over again. That's good. Some of us get caught up in, in jingles, maybe as bad as Oscar Mayer. I'd love to be an Oscar Mayer wiener. Well, don't like that one. So, so these kind of music can be fun or it can be frustrating when you just can't get it out of your head. But these kind of thoughts can be even more detrimental. They, they can actually be fatal. The, the Bible says, as a man thinking this heart, so is he. So as we continue to study the life of Elijah, we left him last week in a cold, lonely cave. Now, What's this cave? A cave represents a dark, lonely place of fearful thoughts. Oh, we watched Elijah as he's chosen by God to be a prophet, as he warns King Ahab about a drought, and they take it out on him, and he hides for three years. He finally ends up on Mount Carmel in this incredible, dramatic victory over the prophets of Baal, and it looks like everything is awesome, and the rain starts falling. And Jezebel gets angry and threatens his life. And so, this mighty prophet, who's just killed 450 prophets of Baal, he runs and he hides. And he finds himself in this cave. In in this running, he's come to a point where he just wished life was over. Then he comes to this cave. And God's going to teach us some things here about how we can get unstuck. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But of course, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said to him, Go and surround yourself with some people. We're, we're not looking at that part today, but we will next week. But here's what I want you to see. Elijah is stuck in his head. You know, um, I talked last week about that, that fear that most of us grew up of, the fear of quicksand. <laughs> Honestly, I've never run into some quicksand. But, but where I have found some quicksand actually is in my mind, in my head. Because so often that's where I get stuck, and that's where Elijah gets stuck here. I mean, to this point in our story, he, the dude is almost superhuman. He's powerful. He's doing all kinds of things for God. He's not afraid of anybody. But then when wicked Jezebel threatens him with his life, something snaps. And so he gets to what I call a trigger point. And it's really shocking after everything that's happened, after everything that God has done, this is sort of the final straw that pushes him over the edge. And guys, we've experienced that. Maybe you do good and you do good and you do good. You're strong and bold and confident in God. And then there's just something happens that pushes you over the middle edge. Your wife says she wants to divorce you. You find pot in your kid's car. You get a pink slip at work. You get the diagnosis of cancer. A trusted leader, even the church, disappoints you. You don't make the team. You don't make the dean's list. You don't make the promotion. And though this is not the only bad thing to ever happen to you, it's that moment that pushes you over the edge, again, what I'm calling a trigger point. Elijah has that trigger point. And again, it's surprising. And then his mind begins to be flooded with negative thoughts. I mean, you heard him in our scripture reading repeat the same thing twice. He's walked 200 miles to get to where he is at the Mount of God. And I can only imagine these 200 miles, he's rehearsed that same thought over and over and over again. You know what? I'm the only one left. Everyone's rejected you. They've killed the prophets of God. I mean, he's just overwhelmed with negativity. And we don't understand that. Often we get trapped in these negative thoughts and, and we think them so much. We, we are literally taught by people who study the brain that you can begin to dig ruts in your brain. Now the good news is that you can create new ruts. But the bad news is you find yourself stuck here in negative thoughts. Even some of the thoughts that Elijah's having here, my friends, they're not even true. And so you find yourself stuck there. And then, then Elijah has what I call the victim mentality. He doesn't feel like he's responsible even for his reaction. Oh, oh, true. He cannot control other people's actions, but he's gotten to this point where he doesn't think he has a choice about his reaction. And we can get there too. 
where we think everybody around us is against us. Uh, yes, I'm in this cave. I'm in this dark, lonely, negative place, but I've got every reason to be there, and there's no way for me to get out. Now, I see that sometimes in counseling married couples. I've heard this over and over. The husband says to me, how do you expect me, buddy, to start loving her when she shows me absolutely no respect, when she's just nagging me day in and day out? And the wife says, oh, buddy, come on. How can I respect him until he changes? I can't respect a man who doesn't treat me the way a woman should be treated. I can't respect a man who doesn't listen to me, who always puts himself first. And I always want to interrupt there and say, okay, let's get this straight. What you're saying to me is neither one of you can change until the other changes. You see, that's a lie. You see, as long as you sit there waiting on your spouse to change before you change, it's going to be a visual downward spiral. But when you finally, after you've experienced the love and grace of God, are able to respond to your spouse in a way maybe they don't even deserve, you can stop that. And so that's what God's trying to teach Elijah. Is Elijah, you may seem stuck, but it's because you're not believing that you have any control. It's, it's like this. I, I think I experienced this Monday of this week. Man, there's, there's just so much bad news out there right now. There, there's so many things that just are frightening, days like we've never lived in. And I remember um, waking up Monday morning, getting ready to come to work, and just think, man, I'm, I'm just going to be down today. I've just watched too much. And then it hit me. No. Remember what we studied in Philippians? That, that our joy is not based on our outer circumstances. It's based on our heart. That even when everything around us is falling apart, that I can be joyful because God's within me. Let me just say, it unstuck me. And that's what God is trying to do with Elijah. Now, here's the issue. The voice in Elijah's head is louder than the voice of God. Right now, all he can hear are those negative thoughts over and over again. You ever experienced that with with somebody? Um, Lincoln's been home a a lot lately, and a few weeks ago I was trying to get his attention. He was upstairs. I could hear it. I knew he was upstairs. It was obvious he was upstairs. He was doing something. And so I start calling him downstairs. No response. I'll walk to the edge of the stairs. Call him again. No response. I get upstairs. No response. I finally am at his door. No response. And finally, I just knock and open the door. And, and, and the issue is he's got those earbuds on. And so no matter how loud my voice was, he could not hear me. And that's what's going on with Elijah is he can't hear the voice of God because of all this noise in his head. So here's the great thing. God begins unsticking Elijah. You know, I I think here, and just think about God in, in this context. God could have so easily said, Elijah, after all I've done, after all you've seen, after all the miracles in your life, you're going to let this one woman send you into a depressed spiral and become suicidal. Elijah, don't you see what I've done in your life? God has said, you know, you've put yourself in this dark cave. I'm just going to let you stay there. But that's not the way our God works. God doesn't want you to stay in that cave. And if you this morning are in that dark cave, maybe that depressed place, that hopeless place, 
understand that God is going to work to unstick you. What did he do in Elijah's life? Number one, God meets Elijah's physical needs. You know, earlier in chapter 19, when he first just falls asleep under that bush, first of all, God lets him get some rest. And second of all, God sends an an angel to, to tap him and say, Elijah, it's time for you to get up. It's time for you to eat. It's time for you to have some water. Because God will meet your physical needs. Get up and eat. I think about Jesus and his ministry. Before he could teach often thousands of people, he first knew he had to feed them. They weren't going to listen on an empty stomach. And my friends, when it comes to our down times, you cannot separate the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. They all tie together. And one of the first things you may need to do in that point is you may need just to become more healthy. You may need to start exercising. You may need to eat better. God wants to meet those physical needs. Because when you are tired and you're hungry, you're always more vulnerable to Satan's lies. Number two, God invites Elijah to verbalize his feelings. God asks a rather jarring question. What are you doing here? He's wanting Elijah to think about what got him here. How did he get himself in this position? Now listen, God doesn't ask that question because he doesn't know the answer. Of course, he's an all-knowing God. He knows the answer. It's like in John 6 when Jesus says to Philip, go get us some food, you know, to feed this huge crowd. And Philip takes his calculator out and starts calculating The Bible said Jesus didn't ask that question because he didn't know. Jesus asked that question because he wanted to test Philip if he believed in him. And here God knows the answer to why Elijah is here, but he wants Elijah to have to think about it. In fact, he he wants Elijah to, to verbalize it. He wants Elijah to say it out loud. You heard it. I've been zealous. I've been rejected. I'm the only one left. Now, let me say this. There's a power in verbalizing your feelings. I I found through life in in struggles that one of the best things I can do is verbalize how I feel to my wife or to a close friend, to somebody. Because there's something, first of all, about you hearing what you're saying. And there's something also about the power of it being born by somebody else. So Elijah says it out loud. He's got to get his thoughts that are stuck in his head out of his head. Here's a challenge we've been given in this church for years that many of you have taken. It's helped me a lot, is to think about what you think about. Because every person must answer, how did you get here? Are, are the thoughts you're thinking, are they true? Are they healthy? That's number two. Number three. God gets Elijah's attention. Now, there's something I've never noticed before in studying this passage, is that in verse 11, the Lord commanded Elijah to go out and stand on the mountain. But it's not until later that Elijah finally steps out in verse 13. And so he doesn't immediately obey God to go into his presence. So God has to put on a show. God has to cause quite a scene. He sends the wind. I mean, this isn't just wind. This is wind that 
that blows up rocks. And if that's not bad enough, there's an earthquake. Can you imagine being in a cave in the middle of an earthquake? And then after the earthquake, there's this fire that blazes. God does this so often. When the people in Noah's day wouldn't pay attention, he flooded the earth. When Pharaoh over and over turned a deaf ear, he sent the plagues. When Jonah ran from God, he put him in the belly of a well on the bottom of the sea. And today, he still cares enough to shake your life up to get your attention. Maybe that's what's been going on with many of us in this quarantine. When the economy's been shut down, when when there's health scares all around us, when the brevity of life is evident, when the way of life can be disrupted in a split second, maybe that's what God has done in this tragic death of George Floyd to say to our society, are you really okay with this? When when it's that blatant, that out there? What else do I have to do to get your attention to work on this? You see, God is willing to get our attention. And then number four, God speaks to Elijah in a holy whisper. Uh, The the scripture makes it plain. He's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. He spoke with a still, small voice. Listen how Charles Spurgeon puts this, the famous 19th century preacher in London. And now the thunder ceased, and the lightning was gone, and the earth was still, and the wind was hushed. And there was a dead calm. And out of the mist of the still air, there came what the Hebrew calls a voice of gentle silence. As if silence has become audible. There's nothing more terrible than an awful stillness after a dreaded uproar. What's God trying to say to Elijah? Elijah, you're not going to always find me in the dramatic, in the miraculous, in the powerful moments. Elijah, maybe you have become spoiled by all the amazing things I've done around you. That you don't recognize you can meet me anytime. And that I'm speaking not always in some powerful event. But often also, Often I'm, sleep, I'm speaking, excuse me, I'm speaking in stillness, in silence. How, how about us? Sometimes we become dependent on a great retreat or a great church service, and my, I miss us being together. And so many powerful things happen in this room, and, and, and it's like a pep rally and a high, and that's good. But often I think I become too dependent on that, that I forget that God's not just in this building Maybe that's one of the great lessons of this pandemic. God is everywhere. And often he's going to speak to you in absolute silence. Number five. We didn't get to this verse. I want to read it to you. God challenges Elijah's false beliefs. If you get toward the end of the chapter, you have this verse. God says to him, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Wow. 
God says, Elijah, your count is way, way off. You think you're the only one left in your darkness, in your trapped thoughts. You've gotten so negative, so warped, so distorted, so wrong. You think there's 1,000. I'm telling you there's 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. God's a good counter, isn't he? In fact, I would call this, if I may, the first preacher count. So understand this. A preacher count is a God count. Trust me on that one. So God God has to say, Elijah, you've got things in a box, and you've got this country in a box, and, and you've got your view and your thoughts in a box, so much that you're not seeing things. Have you ever been that way? Maybe you box somebody in or some group in or some church in or some organization in. You just made your mind up. They were this way. And you know what happens when you do that? Everything they do fits in that box. I mean, it just, it just fits. And so you have an accumulation of more and more and more evidence to prove your false point. And Elijah seemed to have more and more and more evidence to prove he's the only person who cares. And God says, you know what? One of the major reasons you're in this dark place is that you are believing things that aren't true. And, and I'm going to ask you and, and me this morning, what are some of the false views and beliefs about ourselves, about people, about our church, about our country, that Satan is putting in us? Because he'll do it. And even a great man of God like Elijah can become that distorted in his thinking. So we saw the issue earlier was he couldn't hear the voice of God because of all the voices around him. Here's the answer that this story tells us. You need to step out of your cave and reposition yourself to hear the voice of God. Remember the bad part, the bad issue is God's voice has been drowned out. The simple answer to that, God says, is get away, get silent, hear me in the silence. You've got to reposition yourself. You've done that. You ever had a a place where maybe your cell phone usage was not very good? It used to be that way at my mom and dad's house. If we were in the back of the house, you couldn't have any service. So the only way I could have service is I walked to the front of the house or on the front porch And then I had a little bit of service. So if I wanted to talk to somebody, if I wanted to hear from somebody, I had to reposition myself. Thank goodness cell service has gotten better, but still there are moments you have to do that. And when it comes to your relationship with God, because of all the noise, and especially negative noise around us, and all that negative noise that gets stuck in those ruts in our head, we have to reposition ourselves so that we can hear God so God can do what he does so well. He can unstick us. So I ask you this morning, are you stuck in your mind? Um, You've seen the points we've made today. You've heard the challenge. Here's the really good news. God doesn't want you to stay there. And you don't have to stay there. It's like I talked about last week. When, when I'm in my worst depression, I feel like I've been there my whole life and that I'll, I'll be there the rest of my life. You, you feel so trapped, but that's a lie. I had not been there my whole life and I wasn't going to stay there the rest of my life. But I know what that feels like. 
And I think Elijah actually knew what that felt like. And here's the good news for you today. If you're stuck, and more than likely the place you're stuck is the place we're talking about this morning, is you're stuck in your thoughts, in your head. That's the battleground. Allow God to unstick you. Allow God to reposition you so you will hear different voices over and over in your head. That's the power of repetition. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Repetition can be used for evil, and repetition can be used for good. That's why it's great when a wonderful song gets stuck in your mind. One of my favorite that I think addresses exactly what we're talking about today is by Lauren Daigle, called You Say. And I'm going to read the words of this song, some of them to you, as, as we prepare to go to communion. Because I think communion's a place where if we'll be still enough, we can hear the voice of God. But listen to, to her words. I keep fighting voices in my head that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Now listen to the chorus. You say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say I'm yours. Oh, I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me, I believe. You see, that's the key, my friend, is that we hear what God says above us, above what the enemy, this world, even our own self-judgment says about us. And so as we come to communion today, I want to challenge you to to commune with God and to hear his voice. And what communion celebrates and what it commemorates is this message that God loved you so much. His son died for you. He resurrected for you to bring you life. And my friends, that changes everything about everything. If you just believe the message of that weekend, and they are multiple, you will hear the voice of God and you can walk away from this service feeling better. This could be your your first step of being unstuck. So let's pray together. And then let's commune together. God, maybe it's just me, but Anytime we talk about the battle in the mind, Lord, it really resonates with me. And from what I hear from your people, I believe it resonates with, with them too because that, that's where the battleground is. And we do get stuck in the same thoughts. And, and sometimes they've been so long we even believe things that aren't true. God, we come to this special moment in our service where we're reminded of what is true. Well, we're reminded when we think we're unloved that you loved us. When we think we're unforgivable that you have forgiven us.
When we think that we are unworthy, we become worthy through the blood of Jesus. When we think we have no power, we meet the resurrection of Jesus. So God, help us to slow down enough, be still enough to hear your voice. We live in a very noisy world, very, very noisy. And we need to hear who you say we are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.